Welcome to all of you. It is so good to have everyone here this morning. Um, and uh, wanted to, uh, we want to start our, uh, our morning this morning um, in prayer. How about that? Because I need it. So if you would please join me in bowing uh, to ask God's blessing on our time in his word this morning. Father, thank you for, uh, for the truth of your word and for this series that you laid on our hearts. I, I can think of nothing more important this morning than to look at another, uh, another facet of this, uh, of this beautiful, um, beautiful stone that you've given us that, uh, that, that explores the one and others in your scripture. And so, Father, as, uh, as we've kind of been walking through as, and will be walking through this, uh, this path, I pray, Father, that your word would not only permeate everything that we do, but that, especially for myself this morning as the speaker, help me to fade into the background, help me to be of, of no consequence, because, Father, in the great you know, co- cosmic value of the universe, I have no value compared to your word, your truth, and your son, Jesus, whose truth um, I am humbly here to uh, try to share with my brothers and sisters. So I pray, Father, that uh, your word, again, would be paramount and of, of the not only greatest importance, but, Father, that it would be clearly communicated and that it would uplift um, everyone here, all hearers of it, Father, and that uh, they would be inspired to know more of Christ and to know uh, to be more like Christ. So I ask these things in your name for your glory and in the name of Christ. Amen. So last week, um, uh, last week uh, was the second week in our One Another's uh, series, and uh, Michael very ably went ahead and uh, showed us, okay, we're backing up again. (laughs) He he went through counsel one another, and uh, this week we uh, have welcome one another. And uh, it's, it's uh, my, my privilege to bring that. And uh, you're going to find that there's not only a common thread, but that also um, there, uh, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of overlap because God's word is cohesive and truthful and it is powerful. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, what I observe, you will also as we, as we walk through this. Now, I'm sure we all have in our minds an idea of what welcome is and what it means. Um, and so um, I am going to begin with something that's really going to be an, an antithetical thought. And the purpose of what I'm going to um, kind of give to you right now is to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think God wants us to be a little uncomfortable in where we are when it's not in line with where he wants us to be and what he teaches. So I'm hopeful that you'll see that and that that'll help communicate then even more clearly what we're going to be looking at in God's Word. So, um, so kind of follow along with me here as we um, kind of go through this process. Imagine a world of isolation with little or no physical interaction. You're taught from an early age not to trust anyone, not to look at people, You're to avoid contact with them at all costs. Avoid even eye contact. You've been schooled in the mindset that you become more and more hostile to the people that you don't know. 
You're sure that you hold evil thought, that they hold evil thoughts and intent for you. And avoidance is tempered with fear, anxiety, anger, and it makes pride well up within us. You no longer want to help others or even spend time with them. Avoidance becomes outright isolation. You convince yourself that you're happier in this state because it's safer. Others are only out to take that away from you. You find yourself avoiding eye contact, steering clear of conversations. You don't think the thoughts of those that you don't know are all that important to you anyway. And while you avoid eye contact with those that you don't know, you find yourself beginning to avoid contact with those you do as well. You're slipping into a world where you find that screens are comforting. They bring a sense of normalcy to your life. A world where you can control what you see, hear, and experience. You can't control how much contact you have with everyone, but you tell yourself your world will be quieter, more peaceful if you can control that and keep them out. Maybe too quiet. You don't let anyone in, so there's no conflict, no disagreement. If everyone would answer to you, follow your lead, act as you do, everything would be fine, you tell yourself. So, so much better. But they won't, because they're greedy, they're selfish, they have bad taste, they're evil. Avoidance becomes outright full-blown isolation. You retreat to find peace, contentment, fulfillment. It's empowering to live this way, or so you tell yourself. It leads to fewer arguments. You convince yourself you don't really need others anyway. This satisfies you. You've become master of your domain, a rock, an island. I hope that makes you a little uncomfortable because that's not who we're called to be. But isn't that often where we find ourselves and, and, and have found ourselves in the past? It's the theme of many, many hundreds I found out when I searched a little bit, dystopian and post-apocalyptic books and movies. Um, so we seem to be a little bit in our culture obsessed with that as well. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've read books or been told to read books or, or have seen movies or, or heard about movies along those lines and in those genres. Just a few that you might know. Um, one of the most famous, 1984, by George Orwell. I remember in, in high school they wanted us to read Aldo Huxley's Brave New World, um, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, uh, a newer one that I, I'm not familiar with, V for Vendetta, but I've heard it was very popular. <laughs> and, of course, The Matrix has been talked about here as well. The, the Terminator um, uh, you know, franchise, Book of Eli, they go on and on and on. As I said, there are hundreds of them. But the big question, the most important question in all of this is, what does God have to say about welcoming one another and how we should live our lives? Miriam Webster, our good friend who uh, helped, helps us define so many words and, and uh, you know, put together his wonderful dictionary, defines welcome for us. And it is an adverb, if I'm not mistaken, and, uh, and it can be used in one of three ways, typically. It's a simple greeting, as, you know, as in welcome, like I did earlier here for the service. It can be a greeting with hospitality and with uh, courtesy and pleasure, like you're welcome to anything in our kitchen, or as an, as an expression of thanks, as in you're welcome when someone does something kind for you. 
the concept of, of being welcomed um, is, ha, is and has been a big part of our culture and many cultures for many, many years. How many people are old enough to remember the welcome wagon? Okay, a few people. It's probably foreign to most, of, uh, most folks younger than I am. Back in 1928, uh, a, a man in Memphis, Tennessee... Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Thomas Briggs in Memphis, Tennessee, started the welcome wagon service where he recognized how important it was as Americans typically move a lot for there to be someone to welcome someone into the new community, give a, maybe a, a basket of some gifts from the, from the businesses in the community. And more often than not, it was ladies sitting down with other ladies over a cup of coffee to kind of tell them about the community that they had moved to. Great concept. But is that all it means to welcome someone? Now, we're going to go to our main text for today. And these didn't come on, by the way, just so you know. So I'm still going to be doing this just to make sure I haven't you know, jammed my way past something. Uh, in Romans 15, 7, we read, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, this, this is going to be our, our main text, but I want you to think of what we're going to be um, walking through today as um, back in the old days when, uh, when, we, when photography was all on film and then you had to print a picture onto paper and then develop it in chemicals. That was kind of my background years ago. And in developing a picture, there was a time when you had, you know, it was, it was shadowy and there were pieces. And then you would first go through, and when you're trying to really make a good print, you might do other manipulations, dodging and burning and different things to try to make that picture really come into sharp focus and to convey exactly what you wanted to do, you know, cropping, all of those different things. It was a much more laborious process than what you can now do very simply with a few clicks in a computer now. But... I say that so that you kind of have a framework for what we're going to be doing is walking through really five main texts here this morning. And I want you to think of it as not um, individual points so much as a picture that's going to, I hope, become sharper and sharper in focus where everything is interconnected and amplifying each other to give us a real true picture of what the one another of welcome one another really means and what God's trying to tell us when he, uh, when he uh, you know, implores us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. With me so far? All right, good. I haven't seen too many people not off yet, so that's, that's a good thing. Now, you, as many preachers have said, I'm sure you've heard it, and if you haven't, I guess, wow, that'll be interesting for me to be the one to, uh, to fill you in on this. When you see the word therefore, what do we do? We, we look back to see what it was there for, right? It means that something that came before um, is either going to clarify it somewhat or at least give us context. So it's really, really important to look back. In this case, it does much more than that. It's actually going to make it very clear. So um, if, you've got, if you would like, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to go ahead and pick it up at verse 1 and go through verse 7. So reading in Romans verse 5, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we see, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. 
For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, quote, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So really, um, it's wonderful that in this little section, this little passage of Scripture, God very clearly lays out the why for, for why we should welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, doesn't he? And one thing to focus in on is in that verse 7, the word as, where, where it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Well, really, the, rest of the beginning of chapter 15 gives us a clear picture of how Christ welcomed us, doesn't it? The word as is so critical because, um, and again, going back to our good old friend Merriam-Webster, it gives us uh, the adverb's definition, and it comes through as to the same degree as, meaning like as in the phrase soft as silk, that it's just like. It should be just like. Well, in verse, um, verses uh, 2 and 3, it talks about how Christ didn't please himself. He actually went and uh, went to the cross. It doesn't say that specifically, but that's what it's alluding to when it says that you know, all of your reproach fell on me. It's talking about Jesus that that reproach would be falling on. So when he was welcoming us to himself, it wasn't because there was anything that we were going to bring to him that he wanted. It was because we needed him and we were not, um, we were not in a state of being able to save ourselves because ultimately that's really what this is pointing to, isn't it? Is the salvation of Jesus Christ through the cross. So keep that in mind as we go through the welcoming one another. It's, it's absolutely critical for all of the welcome one another. So the, all of our reproach was placed on him and then he tells us why, we did, you know, why he did that even before we get to verse 7 where it says that, uh, that, that we might have hope and that uh, the God of endurance and encouragement would grant that we would live in harmony with one another. So again, absolutely critical and beautiful for, um, for, for what God's trying to, um, trying to teach us here. So clearly our welcoming one another should be modeled after and similar to Jesus' welcoming actions in spirit. Jesus' welcome was welcoming was an accepting action. He accepted us to himself that we might be saved. Um, I found it, I got a little bit sidetracked as I was studying in looking at the Greek's concordance, the, the Greek's concordance, the Strong's concordance in Greek. Um, and usually that's not my bent, but I found it helpful. So I'm going to share a few of the things that I did find in there just in case if that would be helpful to you as well. So the, uh, the word welcome in, uh, in the Greek is uh, proslambano which means to take or receive into one's home with kindness is how Strong's defines it. So I think that that's helpful because it amplifies even more the true meaning of what God's communicating here more than what Merriam-Webster did in defining the word welcome. 
And an illustration, I think, for welcoming that I, that I had is think of um, when you're welcomed by, to some, into someone's home or welcome in a welcoming action, the most welcoming place or experience that I could think of that's pretty universal, I hope, was going to grandma's house. Um, I, I could never think of anyone that was more welcoming than my grandmother. Uh, and, and there are some interesting things that you're going to find that parallel, as again, as we develop this picture of welcoming being coupled with hospitality. And so you know, going, going to grandma's house for us always meant that you, know, you knew grandma loved you, even probably when you maybe were unlovely and maybe she should have been more correcting because she was grandma. Grandma always had treats. Now, those weren't always in generous supply around the house, probably with good reason because like most kids, we would have just gobbled them up when mom wasn't looking. You'll learn if you're younger that there's a big difference between parent and grandparent. Um, there are certain things that kind of get set aside that were not um, a part of daily life uh, when you become a grandparent. So grandma always had you know, bowls of treats. When we were coming to grandma's house, typically there were cookies that could be found. Um, we didn't have to go find them, though. All we had to do was ask, and grandma was quick to share them. Grandma always had plenty of fresh milk to share with us to, to wash the cookies down. And grandma would even make whatever our favorite meals were. There was even one thing in our family that my mom, I don't know if it was because mom didn't want to do it, she could tell you maybe, uh, whether she didn't want to do it, uh, couldn't do it, or what the deal was, but there was one thing that, um, fortunately I married a woman who will do this, she made crepes for us too which was a big favorite of ours. So, I mean, going to grandma's house was the most welcoming, warm experience that I could think of. And, um, and I hope that's, uh, that's been your experience as well. But think about that with, with welcoming as we go through this. But I don't want to get bogged down there too long. I wanted to just kind of make sure that you have that in mind as you think of welcoming. But don't think of just the idea of going to a home because that, that's going to sidetrack you and I think lead you a little bit astray. All right? So now we're going to go on to our next point, which is in, found in... It didn't go. Let's do that again. There we go. A little, a little further in Romans. So if you turn to Romans 16, verse 16, there we read, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This one brought me up a little bit short. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And, and it, uh, it, it brought me up short because uh, maybe a little bit of what we've experienced in the last year and, year and a half, right? In the, in the days of COVID, here we are reading a text that says, greet one another with a holy kiss when we've been avoiding contact. For good reason. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to say that that, did, that didn't, uh, didn't make any sense. And yet, there it is. So then I had to do a lot more study because um, it would be easy to just run past it and say, well, that was then, this is now, you know, we know, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we can't say that. If we're saying we know better now, haven't we really, really erred? So why is that in there? Well, first of all, I wanted to see, was it cherry-picked? Was this just kind of an odd thing that, you know, flew out of it and, uh, and whoever put together our outline, our, our initial outline, thought, well, yeah, this, this will be nice, we'll throw that in there. Um, 
And I found out it wasn't, as I'm sure you're probably well aware also. Yes, uh, there are quite a few other places in the, uh, in the Scripture where it talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. The one that uh, I think may be most familiar, maybe not, um, but that came right from the mouth of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, just to kind of set the picture for you, um, Jesus is talking to the, uh, he's talking to Simon, but uh, he had just been meeting with uh, tax collectors, and the Pharisees were asked to meet with them, and so there was kind of a lot of, um, there was a lot of turmoil over who Jesus was finding that he was comfortable sitting down with, and um, just what exactly that meant, because this was not culturally acceptable, it wasn't socially the norm, and uh, I, I think... Uh, even Simon was questioning, Jesus, is this really the message that you want to bring to people, right? And so, um, you know, I'm going to kind of skip down so that we're not going through all of it, but uh, uh, there was a woman there who was uh, known to be a sinful woman, and she was washing Jesus' feet. So then, um, Jesus told this, this uh, parable, where I'm going to skip to verse 41, where Jesus tries to set just exactly what the truth was that he was trying to, to uh, communicate in this, in, in this and in this context. So in 741, Jesus says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then Jesus, turning to the woman he said to, to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from, time, from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So this was, you know, obviously, you know, we can say, well, it was a cultural norm of the day, but we also find in Luke, as I said, and in 1 Corinthians, uh, where it says, all the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. And it, there are other places as well, 1 Thessalonians 5.26 and 1 Peter 5.14. So, was it just, uh, was it just historical? And, and, and then I thought, well, okay, what happened with all of this kissing, right? And uh, so I did a little bit of a you know, cursory uh, uh, study on that, found out that it actually was, it, while it while it's um, not universal in all cultures, it wasn't uncommon, but it seemed to really take off in the early church, and that was where it spread quite a lot. Historians seem to be in pretty close agreement on that. Um, but then, uh, in uh, you know, through the through the Roman church, it, uh, through the Romans, I'm sorry, it spread, but it was also um, it was also twisted into something that this very clearly is not being communicated in the text. This kiss is not that, that it's talking about is not a um, it, it's not a, a passionate kiss. This is just a familial, friendly kiss. And so, um, so I said, okay. As we're going through all of that, it's interesting. Just kind of for an aside, and interestingly enough, the idea of kissing hands and then the handshake came out of the kissing that, by necessity, had to be altered because of the plague in the, uh, would that be 15th century, if I'm not mistaken? So, 
that's, that's where our handshake came from, if, just so you know. Uh, but then I, then I looked to uh, more other biblical scholars to get a, a, a more focused uh, take on what they thought the reason was for all of this uh, kissing that was brought up in Scripture. And uh, this actually, I, I believe, squares very clearly with the Scripture. Um, first thing, I think it's another opportunity that God used here to make us a little bit uncomfortable. But the second and more important thing is we should be, as family, real with one another. So our affection should be real. So whether, whether we're kissing one another or not is not the issue. The issue is, are we going to be real with our affection for one another? And do we have a real affection for one another? So, um, so, so uh, don't, don't, like me, get caught up on the kissing so much as it's not a command saying we have to be kissing one another. It's more of are we, are we being real with one another? Just another opportunity for us to be very clear in our communication and in conveying our true emotion and feelings for one another as Christ followers. All right? And let's see. Which moves us on to our next, our next layer of development in our picture. In 1 Peter 4.9, we are implored to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Who was Peter writing to in, uh, in the book of 1 Peter? He was writing to believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynium. Now, it's important, again, to look at the context of 1 Peter to get a little bit better idea of just exactly what Peter was, was uh, led by the Holy Spirit to show us. And, uh, and so, if we read 1 Peter verses 4, I mean, sorry, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, I think that's going to give us a little better context. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So, oops, sorry, and I stopped too soon. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in context, it's clear that uh, what God's trying to show us here is that we should be showing one another hospitality. And why should we be doing that? To inspire courage and triumphant living in the face of adversity. If you, if you recall, here in 1 Peter, in the seventh verse, it says the end of all things is at hand. So they were, they were expecting great judgment. And that's just as true today as it was then, that we should be expecting judgment and, uh, and that, there'll be, um, that there'll be difficulties that we're going to be facing together. And then we're implored to keep loving one another. So again, that's, it's an amplification and a clarification of even you know, our affection for one another. Because that love, again, is that phileo love, right? The, the, the one that the word Philadelphia uh, is used. 
because it's a brotherly love for each other. So it's absolutely critical that we, that we keep that in front of ourselves and that we display that. One of the main reasons why is also uh, well known to us because if we're showing love to one another and we're clearly displaying it, it's not just for our benefit. Ultimately, it's most important as we, where we started in Romans because it glorifies God. But the other thing is, what is more um, appealing to those who are not believers than seeing a group of people who are Jesus followers who have affection for one another, who show one another hospitality, who, um, who, who uh, take care of each other's needs. Absolutely critical because it does nothing but amplify and glorify God. Now, the, the main focus of this passage is talking about hospitality. And I know a lot of folks will say, well, that's not my gift. Um, I would posit to you that every one of us is supposed to be showing hospitality. Now, I think we often get a little bit hung up on what hospitality is, and we have a skewed version of what hospitality is. Is hospitality simply having an immaculate house that you can invite people to, where you put on a perfect spread of food that's really, you know, it's a lavish table that's well-appointed. Um, all of your decorations are, you know, something that would be worthy of a better homes and gardens photo spread. Absolutely not what God's talking about here at all. But in our culture, that's often what we think hospitality is. I'm here to um, assuage your guilt with any of that or to comfort you in saying that's not what God's looking for when he's imploring us to hospitality. Hospitality, if you, if you think about um, what are the hospitality um, areas of our economy? Hospitality is typically thought of as things like motels, hotels, restaurants, um, bars, um, uh, you know, places where what? Needs are met, right? Travelers are tired. They need a place to lay their head. They need, they need a meal. Again, keep in mind, though, that's our culture. God's going for a much, much broader um, application than that because all of those things that we think of very naturally, culturally, socially, are what? They need physical needs. Are we purely and exclusively physical beings? We're not. We're not. And we should recognize that and we should look at then, okay, I don't have to, you know, if, if hospitality is more than that, what is it? Well, if we're not just physical beings, what are we? Well, we're also spiritual beating, beings. We're, we have emotions. Um, we have, um, yeah, we, and we do have physical needs, but we have these spiritual needs, emotional needs. We, need, we have needs of each other, which would be um, helped with, or uh, uh, that would be taken care of with fellowship, wouldn't it? So, all of these things are, 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 are all of these areas are places where we can show hospitality. Why? Because at its root, at its base, hospitality is meeting the needs of other people. And so if we're meeting their need, it, can, it, it, it should go, and I, and I would say to you, um, often is even more important to go beyond the physical needs. And while God is absolutely concerned with our physical needs. Ultimately, if we're well-fed and well-watered and uh, we've got a nice roof over our head, 
that hasn't led us to eternal life with Jesus Christ, which is our greatest need ever. And that's the one need that only Jesus can fill. So hospitality, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure it's really clear. Hospitality is so much more. So if you feel like, I don't have the kind of house that I feel like I can invite people to, you can be hospitable and welcoming in ways that are even more powerful than being able to put a Better Homes and Gardens spread on the table. You can meet people you know, where they are in, in their needs for Jesus. And that's where we need to, I think, be stretched to recognize that, um, that, that, that uh, some of the greatest needs that there are of everyone, every one of us should be meeting, which actually... Um, and here's where I, I kind of uh, had a light bulb uh-huh moment. This, uh, and it was actually this morning, I'm ashamed to say. Um, what did, what did uh, Michael preach on last week? That we should counsel one another. That's another place where we can really, through hospitality, fulfill those needs, right? Because people need counsel. All of us need counsel all the time, like, like uh, Michael was talking about. We're counseling all the time, whether we realize it or not. Are we... Are we are we counseling with God's word? Are we giving spiritual truths? Or are we just giving our best ideas? So that's just another place where hospitality actually just layers right in there very, very clearly and very, uh, very powerfully. So keep that in mind again as you're, as you're thinking about what does hospitality mean and how can I, God, how can I be hospitable to those around me? All right, we're going to go one step closer to having our picture. Oh, these didn't, uh, didn't work quite the same way <laughs> on here. There were supposed to be animations, so I underwhelmed myself with PowerPoint, I guess. All right, we're going to jump back to Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12.10, it says, love one another in brotherly, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, the, the word for love there, again, is, that, um, is the word um, that's, uh, it's a word that, uh, the Greek word is philostorgos, which means be devoted to. It's actually considered a phrase, the philostorgos, but it means be devoted to one another. And in some Bibles, that's actually how it's, uh, how it's uh, been translated rather than love. The, the meaning is the same, except that often then we might miss just how important it is to be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. And then, and then as, uh, as it says here in Romans, it goes on further to say, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, and so <laughs> I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is not to think that it's a competition. Uh, it's not set there to be a competition. Why? because of the root of what God was talking about in even beginning that phrase. He started, you know, it started with, out of love, we're to, um, we're to be devoted to one another in, brother, in brotherly affection. Now, if we're, if we're outdoing one another and showing honor to each other in love, then it's not the worldly idea of outdoing one another in a competition. But the, uh, the word is still correct and it's still accurate in saying outdo one another, meaning that we should be trying to, you know, continually to show more and more love and more honor to one another. But if we're doing it out of, heart, out of a heart of love, 
who are we, who are we doing that for ultimately? In other words, that action is being performed for the glory of God not for our own glory, not for anything that's going to bring honor to us. Because again, our focus and our, our uh, push is outward. What we're trying to get, do is give honor, and therefore it should divert that away from us and toward God, right? And it's easy to, it's easy to get caught up in, in that and not, not be understanding of it. But the word there, philostorgos, meaning to be devoted, also speaks very clearly about the mutual love of parents to children and wives. And so, again, it's really an amplification or another way of saying hospitality, isn't it? So it's, a, it's, another, it's another facet of being welcomed, isn't it? And it's that kind of a love, again, that's so, so very attractive to others, both believers and, and to unbelievers, because it's... it's at those times, that when hard times come, it's going to build one another up, it's going to be, bring comfort, it's going to heal. And when we're in the eye of the storm, that's what's going to sustain us, and that's what's going to be attractive and bring people closer to us. I thought it was really well illustrated um, in, the, in the words of a song that came out in 2007 that was recorded by someone named Tracy Lawrence. Um, and, and I'm not going to sing it, but you might recognize it as I read through some of it um, because it, I think it gives a good context, our context, into how, uh, how, that can be, how our love for one another and outdoing one another and showing honor can bring glory to God and that can also show how much we love. So um, the, the, the first verse of the song is, run your car off the side of the road, get stuck in the middle of nowhere. Get yourself in a bind, lose the shirt off your back, need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the cream is going to rise. This is what you really didn't know. This is where the truth don't lie. And the final verse, I think, is the best one where it says, everybody wants to, to slap your back, wants to shake your hand when you're up on that mountain. But let, let one of those rocks give way and you slide back down and look up and you see who's around then. Have you seen that in action in God's church? I have. I have. I've got like lots and lots, and I was trying to figure out what, because I didn't really want to, didn't want to pat myself on the back, so I was trying to think of some others. So I've, I've seen people, even in, in this church, when, you know, uh, cars were broken down, take time out of their day to go help people, um, you know, fix their car. Uh, even, again, taking lots of time. I've seen people... Uh, when a roof needed to, to be put on, uh, take hours and days out of, their, out of their week to help make sure that that happened. And I'm not do, saying that to try to pat anybody on the back or to try to say, this is what the benchmark is. I'm just saying those are actions that speak very clearly of the love that we have for one another. When, and when we do that, it's not only um, something that can be emulated and is attractive, but it's also something that other people take notice of. And I think it's a, clear, um, it's a clear manifestation of exactly what God's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be in his word. I'm sure you guys could come up with a lot more examples than, than what I have. And like I said, I don't want to uh, get caught up in that because it's not about patting one another on the back. Uh, but I believe that when all of these 
our website went too far. When, when all of these types of actions are taken, um, it exposes the core of our faith. And it helps us to solidify the core of our faith as well. Which leads us to kind of our final step in the development of this picture of welcoming one another. In 1 John 1, 7, John tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? And I thought this was, uh, this was partly what led me to my, my uh, picture uh, metaphor because light exposes darkness, doesn't it? And it reveals things because we tend to be very sight-oriented, visual people. And so if we're walking in the light, it's more, though, than just what we can see. This is being used kind of euphemistically for, you know, what is the light we need to ask ourselves, right? And the light is truth. It's the truth of God's Word, right? And all that that means, and again, um, this actually, uh, a little plug here for excuse me, adult discipleship hour, just exactly what Michael was talking about today, that there's really a meta-narrative going on all the time. And I think if we, if we focus too much in our study on one tiny little facet of how big God is and how beautiful his love is and how awesome the salvation is that he has offered to us, we'll lose that meta-narrative and we'll forget how important it is to love one another, to love others, to you know, serve people and take, that, take his word into the world, right? And so we want to make sure that we'll be walking in the light. And here's that word again, as he is in the light. So in the similar way, in the same fashion that Jesus is in the light. So, you know, again, it ends up being this kind of circle where you look back and say, oh, wait, what, what did Jesus do? What, what does he call us to do? What, who does he call us to be? What did he do for us? And we gave up everything. He came down from heaven. He gave up all of the glory that he had, which was his by right to be a part of. And he came to live among, you know, dirty, sinful people for over three decades. And then when he had nothing that, that he was guilty of, absolutely no reason that he, should be, um, that he should be judged so harshly, he was judged and then crucified in the most awful way possible for our sins, not for his. And so while we can't, and, and thankfully we're not called to do that for a good reason, we can't save anyone to heaven. We're still called to be a picture of that. We're still called to be, you know, as, as image bearers, we're supposed to be a shadowy picture that's slowly developing before God's eyes that becomes more and more like Jesus. Because and this is where the metaphor breaks down. We're really more like a mirror at that point. We shouldn't be a picture of us, which is static. We're going to be a reflection of who Jesus is. So if we're, if we're walking in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. And in context, we want to make sure again that, that we keep track of that. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, so God is light, which is, again, the, uh, you know, a metaphor for truth. And that's why I was bringing that up. We want to make sure that we're walking in God's truth and we're, we're sharing that with, other, with all of the other people that we come in contact with. So in context, what does God's light reveal, right? There's a couple of things that, uh, that I think we should, that are real clear in here that are very powerful. Um, the Greek word for fellowship in, in, uh, in John, 1 John 1, 7 is koinonia, which is probably familiar to, uh, to most of us. And the meaning of that is, is partnership, and it's literally in participation with social intercourse, meaning communion, connection, or dealing with uh, dealings between persons. So ultimately, if we're going to walk in the light, if we're going to walk in truth, if we're going to be truth, if we're going to uh, welcome one another and show hospitality, there's, no, nothing, um, there's nothing mystical outside of God's word. There are no you know, magic potions, incantations, or mystical places required to achieve truth. We just need to be a faithful image bearer of Jesus Christ, completely controlled by God's Holy Spirit, walking in his light, right? Displaying God's attributes, the attributes of our Heavenly Father. And that's when we're walking like that, that's when life will be really, really good. And notice in 1 John 1, um, verse 7, there are two really promises associated with walking in the light. The first is that we'll experience fellowship. We'll experience that koinonia, that kinship, the, um, the, the participation together, the communion and connection. But even more importantly, it says um, at the second half of that verse that it will cleanse us from all sin. And I think it's important to remember that it's not just some of the sin because it's easy for us to get bogged down and beat ourselves up that, um, because I don't know about you, but it, it is for me anyway, to look at my life and look at things that I do, thoughts I have, sins that I, you know, that I know are in my life and say, God, why? Why do you want to have anything to do with me? And it's so great to have that promise that, you know, hey, don't get bogged down in what you can do. Run back to Jesus and what he can do. Walk in his light and he'll cleanse you from all the sin. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness, as it says further on in 1 John. That's where we need to live, and that's how we can, we can be welcoming to one another and do all of the things to develop that picture that, we were, that we've been developing through this, through this whole study. So in conclusion, I had three things that I... Oh, thanks. So <laughs> and in conclusion, what do we do? Um, I want to exhort us all to become kind of welcome, welcome wagons for Jesus, both with, with each other and, uh, and with, with uh, people outside of these walls. Because again, the idea on a really, really, really small le level of the welcome wagons was to uh, meet the needs of those in the community. We know now that those needs are much broader and much deeper and much more important than a cup of coffee or, um, or, or some cookies. So, uh, you know, so we can be looking to, through our, our counsel, through our actions, through our, um, through our generosity, 
to uh, show that hospitality and welcoming to all those around us. Second thing would be to make outdoing one another uh, and showing honor a bridge to hospitality. Because if we're, if we're doing, you know, if, if we're not just doing, it's more than doing, but if our heart is, is, uh, is, is con- consistent with that, we'll be outdoing one another and showing honor to one another. And that will very clearly show the love of Jesus. And then we won't have to conjure up hospitality. It'll be a natural outgrowth of how we treat each other and what we do every day. And then I would say, spread the joy of your salvation as you walk in the light today and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, uh, you implore us to welcome one another, and then you lay out exactly how we can do that and, and uh, what, what all the elements are to that. And there's so much more that could be said. But Father, we, uh, we ask that you would continue to throughout the week help us to kind of uh, put these thoughts in our heads, to uh, look at your word, look at the truth in it, and look at your scripture where you, you gave us promises as well uh, that, that will help to drive us to be more like Christ. We, we love you and we ask, Father, that you would do these things, not for our edification, but Father, you tell us clearly in, uh, in Romans 15, that it would be for your glory. And uh, that would be our heart's desire as well. So we, we give it to you now. We ask that your glory would be paramount. And Father, uh, that you would be well pleased, not just with what we do and say, but with our hearts uh, that only you can see. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.